0: Welcome to Let's Talk Sales, the podcast that's all things, sales, and business development. This podcast series is for CEOs that are looking to build strong companies, sales VPs and sales managers that want to take things to the next level, and salespeople that are looking to improve. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your sales your team's sales? Have you tried sales training in the past but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success sales growth program is a year-long engagement. It combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. If you wanna learn more, check it out at criteriaforsuccess.com. Today's podcast is part of our Advice from Authors series, where we talk to authors and experts in business, leadership, sales, or marketing. And this is Rebecca Toomey, and today I'm talking to Philip Williams. He's the author of Walk the Talk. Philip is an author, a speaker, and a business coach who's passionate about helping small business owners. And I'm so excited to be talking to you today, Philip. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Rebecca, thank you for having me on the show. Um... Really looking forward to this. I know we've chatted a little bit already and I'm kind of getting excited about this.
0: I (laughs) know. We were getting so chatty before that we're like, we got to just start recording because we're just.
1: We should have, yeah, we should have recorded the pre show.
0: (laughs) Right? I I totally agree. I'm on the same page, but too late now. So I guess we're just going to have to keep talking.
1: (laughs) Let's relive it.
0: All right. Let's relive. Let's talk sales. All right. So I'd love it if you could just share a little bit more about your, your history, who you are as a person, how has your career evolved? Where are you now? How many questions can I ask you before I allow you to answer them? We will never know.
1: <laughs> we won't, but we can we can roll for a I can little give while. You want
0: me to give you ten more questions?
1: <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, my history with sales is kind of kind of interesting. I uh, it's one of my weaknesses actually. I flat out, I, I everybody has a weakness, and sales happens to be mine. Uh, and so. It, Really where I'm good at, though, is on the like the back half of the sales process, you know, okay. once the salesman's already kind of opened the door and identified the interest, then, then I'm good on the, the the second piece where, you know, we're closing and and, you know, really get the person to to the finish line.
0: Nice. A closer. But
1: be- <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> but because I am so I, I so. Just don't like the the front side of the sales process, right? Where you're trying to go out, you're trying to either find the person who's acknowledged that they have a problem, or that the find the person who's looking for the solution. What I got really good at early in the, you know the leadership phase of my career was identifying the people that could do the thing that I don't like to do at all. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of one of the one of the places that that uh, I think that you know, salespeople need to be good at is you have to go in and have conversations with people who are trying to get you to leave the room. <laughs> yep. Right. yep. And and I'm like, when, when I get that cue, I'm out of here. <laughs> 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 you know, you don't want to talk? Let's go. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Right. But a good salesperson, they've got to be able to push through that. And so yeah. I got really good at interviewing people for, for that particular piece. And then also as well, a good salesperson has to be introspective you know, you have to evaluate yourself on the fly because you're the only person, you know, it's, your, your sales manager's not standing there, you know, grading that that sales call or, you know, when you're standing in the lobby trying to get past the gatekeeper, your sales manager's not there. And so you have to really be introspective uh, of your own skill set and your own approach. And so I, I understood, too, that they needed to have that skill. and. And then uh, along with a lot of other skills but those were two of the things that that i really really looked for and i wanted to backfill and so every time i've been in you know the ceo role which has happened to me a few times the first function that i backfill is the sales role Mm -hmm. so that Mm -hmm. i don't have to do it because i know if it depends on me we're not going to go anywhere um which is to say, you know, every every CEO has that problem. I don't care if it's finance, operations, sales, whatever. We all have a weakness, but this one happens to be mine. So
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough too for a lot of CEOs because some CEOs that do like to sell or are really good at selling or perhaps were sellers first before they became a CEO, they run into the problem that, you know, they feel like, well, I'm good at selling. I've done it. I need to sell for the company. And then they end up having issues managing. They're like, I don't have time for my CEO things. I need to focus here or there. So it's interesting, you know, to hear the different stories and the different struggles that and areas where people struggle. So I'm actually glad to hear though, that you're a CEO, you identify and you know what you're good at and your skill set, And you focused on filling positions for the areas where you're like, hey, this would be so much better if someone else were to do this particular task.
1: Well, and we, we're all that way. Mm -hmm. You know, we are all that way and you have to play to your strengths, but you better know what your weaknesses are.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And you better have a way of figuring out, is it working? Now I know what, like, I'm not an IT guru either. Uh, But I was fortunate enough to grow up in a world and and I was, you know, in the late 90s when a lot of companies were starting to get computers and whatnot, I was very fortunate to be in a company that was doing that early. Mm -hmm. And so I know what a good IT environment is supposed to look, feel, smell, and sound like, but don't ask me how to deliver a TCP IP packet from A to B because I don't know. Yeah. But I know how it's yeah. supposed to look and feel and so and that's very much like the sales process. I think as a, as a CEO, you know what it's supposed to look and feel like, especially if you were in a company that did it well
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then and then it's just a matter of trying to figure out what are the elements that build that up. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. Well, I would love to ask more about your book and what motivated you to write walk the talk. Did you experience some issues or were your clients, what problems were your clients experiencing that kind of sparked in you, hey, I, I need to get to work on this. I need to write this.
1: What's the so, story there? <laughs> Yeah, yeah the, the story there is that I'm fortunate. I, you know, I got the three-peat in the ink, 5,000. And nice, I, every one of my clients, I would really love for them to achieve that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that doesn't mean they have to, but I would love for them to do that. <clears throat> But the, the question is, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was trying to solve the question of what is it that makes it possible for a company to even get into that area? And, uh, you know, how do you grow something that fast? And I don't believe that, that you know, like the Will Smith video, it, success is not a preordained uh event I, I just don't mm-hmm. oh, I don't yeah, believe it never that ends, to be right true.
0: it's it's a constant
1: right but it's not like when you're born somebody tapped you on the head and said you're gonna be a wonderful CEO yeah. and um I'm sorry you're gonna work in the lumber yard the rest of your life that that's not the way this works <laughs> um it, it it is a process, it's about learning and it's about doing certain things right. And it doesn't matter, I don't care if you make cell phones or if you own a plumbing company, there are truths that are consistent within those two companies. Mm-hmm. And what I was trying to identify were were the traits that, that make up those companies. And I wanted to go in and understand not just what happens inside a company that makes it possible for it to rank once but how do companies you know what are the things that they do that allow them to rank multiple years in a row because at the end of the day like let's take golden state warriors as an example because i think a lot of folks have you know they've heard of them by now um or even the chicago bulls when michael jordan played Mm -hmm. it's great you can win once Mm -hmm. uh that's cool everybody loves that but that the stories that fascinate us are the stories about the teams that win multiple years in a row.
0: Yes. consistently.
1: And, you know, like Nick Saban, Alabama football, what is it that he does? I mean, you're talking about a guy who changes out, you know, probably a third of his starters every year, but consistently has the same result. And, and how does he constantly deliver a good result, even though he has to get, you know, eight new guys on the football team, to start every year. Mm -hmm. So what are the traits? And so that was what I was trying to do, is I was trying to to show people that if they focused on uh, doing certain things well, that they could build it. Whatever their arena is, whether it's a plumbing company, whether it's a chain of um, hairstyling salons, uh, a technology company, what is it that you have to do well Mm -hmm. to get there?
0: Definitely. Well, that makes complete sense. And are, I have to ask you, are you a fan of Michael Gerber at all? I am. I
1: am. Yeah. In fact, in fact, I actually became a CEO the first time because the founder of the company bought his e myth, listened to it, and realized I'm not a CEO and I don't want to be one.
0: Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I that's actually how Charles got started with uh the sales playbook idea and concept and with, with CFS and he just, he was really inspired by that book to do some, some of his own things. So I had to ask that because of the relation between that whole idea and e with, you know, building a repeatable process that can be over and over and over applied for success repeatedly again and again. So I love it. <laughs> Not to take anything away from Walk the Talk, by the way, which for our uh, listeners, you can find a link to Walk the talk at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod nine seven is our show notes for today. Cool. Cool. All right. So I want to ask you a little bit more about how things have evolved and changed because you've obviously been in the business world, the sales world for many years now and have experienced kind of like you were saying with the influx of technology and how things have changed and evolved in that arena so how have you seen the sales and business landscape change and what can business owners do to get ahead of the curve yeah,
1: that, that that is a, a super relevant question right now as we're talking i mean i know this show is going to air in november uh and for those of you who are listening you will have looked back over the course of this last year particularly at social media and you're probably going to view it as a year of frustration <laughs> when when it comes to the world of social media marketing and, oh, and, and those sorts the, of things. We had the
0: GDPR thing too. I forgot about that.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, GDPR. Don't forget to update your privacy. <laughs> um, and I, especially in in the small company world, uh, you know, we were talking earlier, and I think that it's entirely possible for a company to blow its entire marketing budget and feel like they got nothing for it especially as we've rolled through 2018 and the changes that have happened i know this summer just watching what was going on in my facebook feed you know as an individual and seeing how things uh my experience was being changed because Mm -hmm. you know mr zuckerberg had to uh go stand in front of congress and then Two weeks after he exited Congress, Facebook felt like a different world to me. <laughs> and then as an advertiser trying to target those people, uh, it, I just feel like social media, you can go bankrupt trying to keep up with the latest and greatest way to target people. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the difficult thing is you, how do you figure out where to spend your money? Yes. And so I've, I, you know, I've been trying to get companies to understand that, look, we're, uh, you know, this, this seven touches thing is a myth now, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, if, if you're not living on a 27 touches idea, <laughs> then, then you're kind of toast, which really gets back to the idea that I think social media is fabulous from the perspective of retargeting. hmm. And it's not so hard and not so expensive to do that. Yes. And I think we're, we're actually seeing a little bit of a tip back to some of the old style sales and marketing where you do have to have some level of human touch. And that initial level of human touch gets people to your site to your content and then it's all about the retargeting message and you can you know for $250 a month you can retarget a lot of people very economically continue to get your message out there but using a human touch to introduce them so i think we're kind of seeing a little bit of a swing back
0: yeah yeah
1: to to that human element Uh, this year and I think that's really what it's going to take because I think a lot of us were just so overloaded with the marketing messages that we've seen come through our social media streams and so I'm, I'm trying to encourage companies hey look really get good at figuring out how to retarget continue to use social media there and then figure out how you can use the human touch element to open the doors and get people to just come and initially visit with you um, and you know, they'll, they'll absorb it and then figure out how to, re- how to retarget.
0: I am so, so glad that you brought this up as a point with the relationships. I completely agree with you. And I've been running into this personally, kind of from a you know personal perspective, not even from a professional perspective, that so many companies are trying to automate every part of the process. And all I want is to talk to a human being sometimes. And I can't tell you how many phone numbers I've called recently, Actually, to change when I was changing my name after getting married, you know, so I had to call credit card companies and airlines and things of that nature. And every time you call, you get a message that is for a minute long telling you to go online to do what you need to do. And I'm like, I want to talk to a human being. Please do not tell me to go to the website. And people are getting pushed so much to these digital communications. So I'm glad that you pointed out it's, it's important for us to remember to be human as well. And to have that human element and the human interaction and the, the personal touch that comes along with that goes so, so far.
1: You know, it, it's kind of funny because the uh, the founder of HGI had um, a, a pet peeve of of, of an infinite scale. <clears throat> and, and it was all around that idea of when I call a company, I want to talk to a human being. Mm-hmm. And so one of our Sort of standards of service and our customer relationship was that we did not have an IVR in our company. And we could have, Mm -hmm. we could have very easily put people through an automated messaging system and, you know, select one to talk to engineering, select two to talk to research, you know, and all that other kind of stuff. But we chose that that was the wrong thing for us. When our customers called, when a prospect called, a human being answered the phone. And I know to a lot of people that sounds like a lot of overhead. Um, but I, that human touch,
0: it's worth it. It's well,
1: worth it, it does a couple of things for you, right? First off, it's, it's a human touch. Mm-hmm. I, oh, I, in, immediately in a digital world right now settles people down very quickly. Oh, I'm talking to a human being.
0: Yes, yes.
1: That is an element or an element of comfort that people don't get elsewhere. And then secondarily, if you can train that that initial staff that answers the phone, and it doesn't take a lot on how to sort through opportunities, you can access opportunities much more quickly with prospects and, and present clients that a lot of times people will give up on or they get frustrated and now you've lost days. And kind of one of my... F- personal tenants when it comes to dealing with customers is that you have to respect the fact that your customer has the right to get their needs satisfied elsewhere.
0: Yep. Oh, definitely. And if they don't have a good experience, they're just going to jump somewhere else, right? I mean, our markets are so saturated these days that it's important to stand out. And you're making me want to rant so bad about (laughs) the apartment building I live in, because they did something recently that really upset a lot of people in the building and me included which was one of the reasons we chose to live in this building was because they had a package room with an attendant because one of the big problems that you have when you live in a building is nowadays because everything can be ordered online and when you live in an apartment building it's great because it's like oh get everything delivered
1: but actually uh-huh.
0: logistically getting it to the apartments is a problem for a lot of these carriers now and so yep. my building decided after having, so basically if UPS would come or whatever post, the post office and whatever the people do, would come to this package room, give the packages to an attendant, you know, or leave them there until her hours were there. She'd check everything in and when someone would want their package, they would go down to the room. She'd check it out. Good to go. So they thought, you know what? Let's save some money. Get rid of this girl. How much could they have been paying her? You know, $15 an hour. They decided probably
1: tops. Yeah.
0: Right. So they decided to replace her with, uh, an Amazon locker that only holds like 50 packages for 350 units in our building. And so there's nowhere for all the ex- excess to go. And plus now they're paying for that Amazon locker. And the experience has just gone from being like, everything was great. You know, you walk in there, you have that girl smiling at you and she was so sweet. And it was just a really great part of my day to interact with her. And get my packages and now it's like being taken over by the robots and uh I'm not loving it so
1: there are some places in your business where human touch and I would challenge almost anybody listening to reevaluate that like are you really is it going to add to the customer experience and and if it's not going to enhance it then it's going to take away from it
0: you have no idea how badly i've wanted to call up the corporate office and be like listen i, I gotta gotta help you guys out i, I <laughs> this will make your business better but because i'm also i'm obviously a, a customer of theirs i live in the building i just don't think they take me seriously
1: <laughs> i don't know you know they might they might it's uh you know, it's it's a significant thing. I mean, it, you know, given the choice between living in that building and let's say, you know, one next door that has a, a human being that takes care of your packages and makes sure that the right one gets to the right place. Yeah. Um,
0: this was such a differentiator for them, man. They uh, actually did send out a survey that I filled out and let them know how I felt about this because there aren't... I we When I, we were touring apartments, we didn't find any others that had this feature. So by taking it away, they now just set themselves up to be exactly like all the other people in the area where before they stood out, you know, that was a reason to choose. That was one of the big reasons why we actually chose this place because it was the only place that had this extra layer of making sure that you're going to get your stuff. So, yeah, I, I should call them up. Re- I'll report back.
1: <laughs> Do it. It's a challenge. Do it. A let, challenge. Let's
0: see if we can get the package girl back.
1: <laughs> yeah, let, let, I want to hear what happens at the uh, next month.
0: Yeah, right? Now that I've ranted about that. <laughs> but it's so true. We so let's let's try bring it back. We've got to look at our own businesses, right? If if you're listening, you're a CEO or you're a sales manager, or you're a leader in the in the company. Don't forget about that personal touch during different aspects of the process. It may not necessarily be from the sales end. This is obviously more of a kind of customer service thing, but now their salespeople, their leasing agents have to now sell this building that has a new feature that's actually worse and everyone's complaining about. So how easy, Imagine, imagine, it harder for them too. Yeah.
1: Imagine you're a prospective tenant and they want to show you this Amazon room and you walk in and it's overflowing. The -hmm. packages look unattended. They don't look safe. Yep. How, How do you sell that?
0: I feel bad for them for the tours they probably had to give when this whole thing was just first starting. It it was a lot worse. It's kind of calmed down a little bit, but, you know, it's, it's interesting for sure. But all right. Our audience, we have CEOs, we have sales managers, we have salespeople. I want to ask in the context of your book, because I really want to encourage people to grab a copy of Walk the Talk how can they use your book in their lives, either personally or professionally, or both? That,
1: that, that's, a, that's an interesting question. And uh, I, I think the, the, two, the two traits that come out that work both professionally and, and personally are the idea, the discipline of discipline and the discipline of sustainability. And, you know, it, it, you can, you can run a four minute mile Well, maybe you can, I I don't, I can't, (laughs) (laughs) maybe I can run a 10 minute mile. Um, Your company can run fast for short periods of time, but in order to be. Uh, successful over a long period of time, you have to pick a little bit of a a more moderate pace. Mm -hmm. So it's the idea of a sustainable pace. And whether that's in your sales function, your production, whatever it is, the idea of a sustainable pace is, is very important. And hand in hand with that is discipline. Doing the things that work and doing them consistent, doing them well, uh, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, whatever that is, those two concepts, if you can blend them together, or I should say, when you blend them together will yield massive results for you. You know, It's, it's like going to the gym. Okay. So go to the gym for 30 days. That's wonderful. Um, you'll be happy with your results at the end of 30 days. But if you stop, then at 90 days, you're going to be right back where you started. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a matter of picking a pace that is sustainable. I would rather see a person go to the gym twice a week for a year than to see them go to the gym every day for a month and quit.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Okay. That's such a great point.
1: So the same idea in your business is what is a sustainable pace and you can, Perfect. you can run out and grab things and grow and, or get short bursts of revenue. You know it's kind of funny because i'll i'll talk to business owners and they say well you know i think the i think the 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 guy that's you know in the next zip code i think he's going to fail pretty soon and when that happens we're just going to grow like gangbusters <laughs> and i kind of chuckle and i laugh and i said no you're not and they say oh yes we will no you're not you don't have the systems or the people in place to absorb a competitor failing and maintain that for a long period of time mm-hmm. And so the idea, you know, so when we talk about sustainable growth in your business, what is it that you can achieve next week, next quarter, next year that you can repeat? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you can, you know, because if you rely on, say, the one big order from a customer or a competitor failing or maybe possibly some massive change in regulation or whatever, you're going to actually look like a snake that ate a rat. It's going to roll through your system, uh, but it's going to be this sort of bump in your revenue. And then you're going to return back to some level pretty close to where you were before. Mm -hmm. So my question is, what have you done systems-wise, people-wise, technology process, all of that, that makes it possible for you to grow and hold on to that growth after the improvement has come?
0: Awesome. So do you share a, a bit of a framework, I'm guessing, in the book?
1: Yes, there is. And uh, without, without blowing too much of the secret, <laughs> you can actually find it in your own results. Okay? Um, the, the big trick, and, and this was kind of how we grew at HGI was this idea we we achieved 50% growth in, in our first year. And what I did was I just convinced the team that they'd done it once, they could do it twice. But how do you convince a team who's done, you know, so one year, that's a little bit of a weird thing, right? You know, it's kind of the blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, Mm -hmm. but you can actually go back and look at specific months in your business where you can show that repeatedly, you know, in a 12 month period, you had five, six, seven, really strong months. And you can say, look guys, we didn't actually just do it once last year. We really did it multiple times last year. And that's why I believe that, we can do it again in the following year. Mm-hmm. And so it's going back and looking at your own patterns and picking out the high points and saying, look, we've done this. We actually did it multiple times last year. And so that's why the goal is the same for the coming year, whether you're talking about growing 15%, 20 you know, 30 whatever your number is, if you're basing it on your prior experience, then you're good to go, especially if you're self-funding. Mm-hmm. If you're self-funding, the idea that you're going to grow, you know, double overnight might not really be realistic depending on the margins inside your business.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, that is awesome. And that makes sense. And again, if if you're interested in grabbing a copy of that, visit the show notes, criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 97. And obviously... You have a lot of experience in this realm because you wrote the book. So I want to focus a little bit more on you as a business coach, and I'd love to hear more about your insights in this area and as the president of a business as well. Specifically, what is one of the toughest, the toughest lessons that you have learned so far in your career?
1: Oh, <clears throat> uh, there's there's two to come to mind, but I, I think. One was definitely much more painful than the other. And it was when we had, uh, we had a bad event take place at one of our clients. Okay. And, um, in short, one of our employees was injured on a job site oh, no. and okay, okay. my, he, he wound up being okay. okay and he was not doing anything wrong. Uh, matter of fact, there was a big, huge safety review, and uh, they they literally chalked it up to just one of those wild, crazy things that happens. Nobody was found at fault. Nobody was disciplined. You know, we weren't kicked off the job site. It was just viewed as one of those crazy things that happens. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, you know, we were following all the rules. Where I messed up, from you know, sort of a continuing sales and customer service perspective, was. I let my program manager be the face of the business to my client during that process. Okay. I didn't I didn't step in early enough and call the client and let them know that I was tuned into what's going on and check on their needs. Ah. Uh-huh. And from from a sales and customer relationship perspective that that was very painful for me and it wasn't a long time it's not like I waited you know a month and a half uh, but you know it was days when they personally wanted to feel and hear from me much sooner than that mm-hmm. and so that was one of those places that I learned really really quickly in a, in a very painful way you know because i think as leaders we sometimes get sidetracked there's a lot of important things happening in your business and you're trying mm-hmm. to spin all these plates uh, but sometimes your customer just needs to hear from you yeah and they may is, not yeah. want anything of you other than to hear your voice and yeah. know that you're tuned in and the, and, and, and to check hey is my team taking care of it
0: yes it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the personal touch right they just you know mm-hmm. want to what if you reach out let them know hey are you okay is everything you know what what can i do i'm here for you just that t- checking in right
1: yeah just just sometimes just checking in and uh that actually folds really well into just how you handle your clients uh, on an everyday basis, regardless of whether or not things are going well. And and actually, even when they are going well, I would encourage leaders to be talking to all of your customers across the entire spectrum. You know, the the five clients that you have that make up 80% of your revenue and the 20 who make up Mm 24% of your revenue. Try to talk to everybody you know you learn wonderful things about what's going well in your business what's not and you find fabulous opportunities to focus on on new things that you didn't previously know would generate revenue so definitely um, in fact my my very first question in my strategic planning process for all my companies is how have our clients changed this year and i don't want to know just how the the top five have changed i want to know how everybody's needs have changed
0: great that's awesome. So. You know, you, you reminded me of something that I've experienced through, I have a bunch of friends in obviously in the insurance industry, but that are specifically through State Farm. And I think that State Farm must do a really great job in their initial trainings when they, you know, train, they're basically franchisees in a way to open their own State Farm offices because they teach them to be very good with that type of stuff. The, the personal touch coming from the owner of, Of the agency versus just the people that are working with the clients Um, and I find that to be a really cool thing and they really train they they know there's a question that they ask you anytime that you call about something if you're calling to let's say you're you were in a minor accident or gonna report something or calling to have a question they always ask you the first thing are you okay and they ask about you as a person which is obviously important since it's for insurance but they don't have to do that. There's other companies that I know that don't do that, that are just like, okay, I can help you process that, that don't say, are you okay? And that just makes so, so much, you know, such a difference, right?
1: It's, it's huge. That personal touch, uh, again, and that sort of seems to be a, a little bit of the theme of this conversation. Yeah. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, and, not, and now we're at what, how many touches? 27.
1: <laughs> not seven. You have to be. 20. Yeah. You know, we see, I, you, you can't do anything without seeing a marketing message somewhere.
0: I got to tell you, I, here's a good story for you. Um, recently, I, I actually was in a car accident. So I know what it's like to go through all this uh, calling the insurance company. But I had a really great uh, physical therapist that's been helping me with some of the problems I've been having with my neck and my back. And he emails me to check in sometimes, which I think is such a like such a nice thing just to say, just wanted to make sure you're feeling okay. Or he was actually going on vacation and so things were going to be, I was finding out some MRI results and stuff. And he said, emailed me, let me know when you get the results. Then the morning of, don't forget to send them to me or don't forget to let me know how this goes. You know, he was really invested in that relationship. And I, I just, I love that. That's such a valuable lesson, no matter where you are, if you're a salesperson, you're a manager, you're a CEO, doesn't matter. uh, It's important for us to
1: Stay just personal. just a just a playoff of that. I think I've gone to a chiropractor twice in the last well, I can tell you since since 2007. Okay. I went to the chiropractor the first time in 2007 and then I went to him again about 6 weeks ago. Okay. And, and there was probably fully a decade in between times when I went to the chiropractor, uh-huh. I went to the exact same chiropractor. Okay. And this actually plays back to the sustainability and discipline mm-hmm. that we were talking about a little bit earlier. The reason that I went to the chiropractor six weeks ago with a 10 year gap, when I realized that I needed to be at a chiropractor, I went back to the exact same one for one specific reason. The very first time he adjusted me over a decade ago, He called me at 9 PM that night to ask me how I was doing.
0: Amazing. See what a difference that makes, right?
1: Hang on. We talk about long-term sustainability. Mm -hmm. We talk about repeating your process and discipline in your processes. I went and saw him just a few weeks ago. You know what happened?
0: He called you again after
1: nine o'clock that night. I got a phone call from him.
0: That's awesome.
1: And so when you talk about what's sustainable in your business, I don't know exactly what those phone calls are worth to him, but that personal touch and maintaining it, we're talking about a guy that's been doing this exact same sales process for over a decade, at least. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And he's doing it every day, all the time and it works and it's personal touch. And that's the whole reason I went to him and, and I'll be darned if, a decade later, he did the exact same thing, and I was just absolutely blown away that he maintained that process for ten years.
0: That's amazing. You got to leave that guy a Yelp review or something.
1: Oh, <laughs> Google review. What's that? Yeah, I'm Just sorry. amazing. W-
0: w- did you say a, a different website or something?
1: Uh, no, no. no, no. Okay.
0: Yeah, I, I've been finding a lot, actually, a lot of success with Yelp for things like chiropractors. So that was why I, I mentioned that one. We don't have a great, you know, universal place necessarily for the healthcare system, unfortunately, for reviews. I know we have Doc, but it's not always that detailed. So it's, right. you know, we, we got to find our ways. But that is such a cool story. I'm glad that you shared that. All right, let's talk books. We talked about uh, Walk the Talk. Uh-huh. Do you have any other great books that you'd recommend? Anything people have to like, have to read?
1: Oh, uh, I think probably my favorite one that I didn't write uh, would be a book called Creating Magic by Lee Cockerell. Cool. And, you know, in the in the uh, pre-show, we were talking about how uh, my family is kind of a Disney family. Mm-hmm. Lee Cockerell is uh, a retired... Uh, executive out of Disney. He grew up on the restaurant side of, of uh, the Disney uh, um, machine, if you will. And what I love about them is their customer service, but he oh, wrote a yeah. book. He wrote a book that is just, uh, it's on my, it's so good. It's on my reread list. And awesome. in fact, I'm probably actually due to reread it again. You know, everybody has books that are their favorites. I think you have to, it's, it's better to ask which books are on your your reread list Mm -hmm. this book belongs on every leader's reread list and it's totally about customer service and culture and how you do that and do it well and uh you got to read it you got to it it front to back
0: i have not heard heard, i don't even know that i have heard about this book yet so i can't wait you haven't i don't think so
1: uh, this I book gotta, is over a decade old you know, you, and it will you never Google be out of style. I
0: want to look at, I want to look at the cover to see if it I it's something about it sounds familiar
1: It's uh it's it'll have the no, sort of I the I have not read this Oh
0: man It's I'm, a blue I'm book with
1: stars it. on it with yep. white stars right I need yep. some
0: magic in my life
1: create <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is a it is an excellent book to read and and uh, I I've never had anybody tell me it was a waste of time
0: Good deal. Awesome. All right. So we've got that. Do you, do you have any other ones that you want to throw on the list? Uh,
1: my other one that, that uh, I, I refer a lot of people to is fierce conversations. Okay. Cool. And uh, the author is Susan Scott and uh it's a very good book from the perspective of, I think a lot of times as leaders, we, there are conversations that we need to have and we don't know how to have them and, and we don't do them well. And it, it's not a, it it's almost a topic that you're either, you either have to learn or you're one of the few people that's blessed to do it well, but she walks you through a lot of different conversations, how to have them and, and, um, how to have them so that they're meaningful and that you get action out of them. So cool. That's a, that's another great book.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Now you've already given us so much wisdom on the show already, but I'd like to ask for more. I'm just going to suck all of it out of you, everything out of your brain. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a piece of wisdom that you could pass along to our audience?
1: Um, Kind of the one that, that fits with, you know, we were, again, we were talking about this a little bit earlier is the one of my little pet peeves or points of frustration is uh, each year and, and we're coming on this. So this is going to I know this will be a November show. Um, I, I would really suggest that leaders start to look at as you're growing uh, your businesses and you're setting up your your goals for your team next year. Consider the length of your sales cycle and how that plays into when you inform your team about their goals for the following year. As an example, if you have a three-month sales cycle and you're going to tell your sales team in the middle of December that their goal for next year is increased, Mm -hmm. you're 10 weeks behind. Mm And that will be very demotivating for your sales team when they walk in and realize that January and February, they are already behind the eight ball. And so one of the things that I want to, and that I've been working on doing with my clients is encouraging them to very proactively talk to their sales team about the goal that they are identifying for the following year. And do that with the idea of the length of your sales cycle in mind. So again... You know, if you have a three-month sales cycle, really by October 1st, your sales team ought to have a good idea what their sales target is for the following year.
0: Perfect. That was actually going to be my question was, time frame-wise, what do you think? So I'm glad that you threw that out there. And I I totally concur with that, too. I think you and I were actually talking about our marketing stuff before this podcast and about how... Come October at, here at CFS, we have our entire marketing calendar for the next year planned. And it, we couldn't survive without having that plan because there's so much that goes into every effort that we're doing. You know, obviously, like this podcast is one of those initiatives. So making sure that we have a plan going into the year that every we know what we're doing uh, makes it so much easier. And having that advance notice allows us to plan properly so that we can accomplish everything. So great tip. That was that definitely was wisdom. And of course, course, here at CFS, we talk a lot about sales playbooks, and we are always asking our guests for useful tips that managers, CEOs, and salespeople can put in their playbooks, especially for our Calavia playbook clients listening in. So do you have any other tips? And maybe this is the tip that we can actually convert over to the playbook, but if you have another one, I was going to ask, what can they put in the playbook? But I I, uh, love that your last point was about Pre-planning, so your playbook is the right place to do that. For those that are listening, I can go ahead and correlate that statement to the playbook. And you'll want to put that under your goals page and start developing and continue to develop your goals for each quarter within your goals page. And um, like Philip said, sit down, talk about it, have a meeting about it in early in the year, early-ish, before the year comes, like October before you get to January and you'll, you know, really cause your, prevent yourself from having a lot of headaches I'm tripping over myself right now. So <laughs> I guess let, let me rephrase this then, Philip, do you have uh, something else tactical that we could throw in the playbook too?
1: That that's kind of the biggest one. I think um, that one is super important from a,
0: Oh, I have a, one tactical perspective. <laughs> then. Uh, I'll just, I'll just give your idea for you. No, um, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But prospecting action plans. I don't know if you encourage uh, your, the people that you work with to have their teams create prospecting action plans, but that's actually something related to your quarterly planning. If you can come up with your quarterly prospecting action plan as part of your October meeting. Perfect. I think that uh, is a way to go.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. that well, that all plays in, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you tell somebody, uh, if your sales cycle is, say, 12 weeks and you let them know oh, October 1st, hey, guys, this is the goal right now that, that uh, the executive team is looking at pursuing next year, then they can immediately take that and, and look at their prospecting action plan and identify, oh, you know what, my prospecting plan was based on 15% growth. and And they've just told me they're going to eyeball, you know, 20% next year. I need to elevate my prospecting action plan, you, you know because otherwise I'm I'm going to be off target. Yeah, definitely. And, and th- that's the entire purpose of telling your team realistically ahead of time, because you'd rather them hit the ball or hit, hit the ground running in January rather than to come in, you know, welcome back from the new year. Here's your new goal package. Oh, great. I'm, you know, eight weeks behind. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard enough to be a salesperson as it is when you're knocking on cold doors and people that don't want to talk to you uh and then being hit by a surprise from your leadership team that lets you know that you're behind schedule isn't real great either so
0: yep definitely and uh for our listeners if you don't know what a sales prospecting action plan is or if you want to improve your prospecting action plan i actually created a free template or a Created a template and it's free. So I will throw that template into the show notes for you. And if you want to download a copy, you can get started and have each of your salespeople create their plans. Heck, it's uh if if it's November already and you don't have your plans done, get going. Ouch. <laughs> get Ouch. going. Let's do it. <laughs> now, do you have any last words for our audience or anything that you want to just Get out there to the world. Now is this is your soapbox right now.
1: This is this is my soapbox. This is my oh <laughs> this, is wow, this is your, your oh, moment.
0: This is your moment.
1: We've already used up so much of everybody's time. Uh I, w- I would. I want to say this. You know, it's late November, It's early November. You're looking at your your goals for next year and how you're going to grow your business. Uh, you really should be eyeballing how well your dis- your business did through through 2018, and make sure that the goal that you're setting is believable. And by that, I mean that you need to be able to demonstrate to your team that everything is in place for next year. So, if you know, whatever it is that you picked for, for your, your growth target next year, you need to be able to actually show them that things are in place, that your sales team is out prospecting and having enough conversations to actually make this happen, that uh, you have financing in place, that you've made the, uh, the right investments through the year in order to allow 2019 to be the year that you think it's going to be. And if you haven't done that, your team's going to know your team is going to know they're going to see it. They already feel it. They live it every day. They know. So, you know, be careful about that. Make sure you're speaking from a place of credibility and that the investment is there and it's been made and also be able to point back to, you know, the three or four months uh, in 2018, where you had success that mirrored the success that you're trying to produce in 2019. And if you can do that, it's really really hard for somebody to look at their own past performance like if you can show your team hey guys look here's four months in 2018 where we absolutely killed it and that's why i think that we can take those four months and do that 12 times in 2019 Mm -hmm. if you can show somebody four times last year or even three times last year in 2018 where they hit it out of the park it's really hard for them to say, Oh, I can't do that. They can't give you the, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. (laughs) If you can show them, yeah. If you can show them that they did it already three or four times, then you're just asking them to figure out how to repeat it 12 times or maybe 10 super good times and, and two average times, Uh you're going to get a lot better results out of your team than if you just sort of pull a number out of the sky.
0: That is amazing advice. Really, that that is such great advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank I'm happy you. To. And thank you for being on the show. I mean, heck, <laughs> I could talk to you all day, but you know, I don't. I don't know that people will let. Me, I don't think anyone would listen to me all day.
1: <laughs> yeah, they they might get bored with with uh, with me as well. Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes I get off on a rant and then uh, kind of lose people. But,
0: uh... I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Yeah, I do too. It's, it's, you know, our minds are going in so many different directions it, I get it. Look, look, a bug. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, thank you, Philip, seriously for, for being here with us today. This was so great. And I uh, am so excited for our audience to get to hear these gems that you shared with us.
1: Rebecca, thank you for having me on the show. I really enjoy listening to your episodes and, uh, appreciate the fact that you were willing to have me on. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening to today's show. Again, you can find the notes for today's show at criteria slash pod 97 and tune in next week. We'll be continuing the conversation on targeting with an interview about Elizabeth's newest ebook focused on the topic. And of course, don't forget to tune in on Friday for our inspiration episodes. Uh, and this Friday, it is Henry Ford. So you won't want to miss that one. And all month, we're writing about targeting on the CFS blog, so you can check that out at blah, dot, dot, com slash blog. Man, I can't talk today. <laughs> You're loving Let's Talk Sales. I would love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be so amazing. Your ratings help other people to find us and... It really means so much to me. So thank you in advance to all of our listeners that and our subscribers and our new subscribers. This has been such a fun year so far, and I'm looking forward to 2019. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Rebecca Toomey, Arianna Miskol and Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling everyone!